Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza. Are you enjoying the summer? On this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, if you're not enjoying the summer, by the way, make sure you're enjoying the summer. The patios are open. Get out on a patio. Nick's going to Croatia soon. Our family's going to Croatia soon. We're going to be enjoying the summer. Make sure you're enjoying the summer. Okay, I'll get on with the episode. On on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I, no, it's not even Nick and I, it's just me. I think I'm already in summer mode. It's just myself and Tim Hong sit down. Tim is in, has been a real estate investor with Rockstar for many years. Then he decided to quit his job and join Rockstar on a full-time basis. And on this episode, we sit down with him because Tim is a super interesting character. He has created multiple streams of income in his life. He started one business as a bit of a side hustle in real estate and then sold it off. He explains that as well. So we just go through his story, why multiple streams of income are important to him and how he's gone about creating these multiple streams of income. And if you are listening to this and you want to go down a similar journey that Tim did, buying real estate, creating multiple streams of income, you can get everything that we have to offer in this regard by visiting our primary website, which is rockstarinnercircle.com. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. You can actually come to the same introductory real estate training class that Tim came to many years ago. It's been updated since then, but it's the same introductory class and we still offer that. The next one is about once, we do that about once a month or so. You can get access to that by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com, clicking on the big red button that says investor training. You will register for that. Our team here will follow up with you. And we hold that again about once a month. We cover all the different strategies that we're talking about with real estate investors and doing in real time. We share that information there. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Tim Hong. And Tim, I don't know, I've lost count. How many kids do you have now? Three now. Three three kids. Not anymore. Do you remember that time we had a rock star? What did you say? Not anymore. Oh, I thought you said none anymore. (laughs) What what happened in your life? Do you remember that Christmas party we had here at Rockstar where your wife was pregnant and you guys were following the limo bus we had rented and it broke down and it pulled off the QEW onto Lakeshore? Yeah, it was, I think. 2012 so that should be when my firstborn it was firstborn I think it was your firstborn so that'd be Jaden Jaden yeah and uh, I'll never forget that because you were behind us we were arguing with the guy to get our money back as we were all dumped out onto the Lakeshore Avenue down there in Toronto and uh, I was on crutches because I had torn my Achilles I had my I had crutches and I was blocking traffic with crutches to try to steer any uh, free taxis to the side of the road. But your wingspan, when you have crutches, it's quite wide. You can like block three lanes of traffic. It's like possible to do that as one person. But you were behind us. And I think your poor wife who was pregnant, I feel like she was like nine months pregnant. Because it was December. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So we had Jaden December 28th. Yeah. Okay. So that was probably beginning of December, I think. Right. I'm assuming. Yeah. It would have been. It would have been. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, Tim's poor wife here. She's thinking, what has Tim got me involved with now? Who are these people? Why are they in a limo bus that broke down? Couldn't they have gotten a good limo bus? Anyway, it was chaos. That Christmas party was madness because that ended up at the club. Some people couldn't get in because we went out for dinner and we went to that club downtown. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I can't even handle those kinds of parties anymore. It's been a little bit calmer since then. Totally. So 
Um, I know we'll get into your real estate journey and how you ended up uh, at Rockstar and stuff. But how did you get into you were you were trading currencies for a little while, like on the side as a bit of a hobby and stuff. Why currencies? It was currencies, right? Yeah. Currency, Forex exchange. Uh, it all started with real estate to begin with in terms of just investing. So just thinking of another vehicle to grow wealth, essentially. And that started with okay, parents talking about it, my mom talking about it and stuff like that way back when I don't even remember when Oh, so your mom talking about just re just real estate in general oh, just in estate. terms of just getting the my mindset in terms of growth and stuff like that um, and building portfolio and stuff like that so then uh, I was heavy into real estate first obviously and then uh, I had a couple buddies talking about stock options probably about five ten years ago at least didn't really care about it for that time and it was just mainly real estate real estate uh, and then I got to a point where tapped out of real estate in terms of capital and credit. So that you mean you can't keep buying properties forever? Unfortunately, oh not. damn. Okay, got only it. if I could print money from my money tree at home. But oh my gosh, I, there are, I know people in Ottawa who yeah. print money. We should go visit them. <laughs> see if we can get some of that money. So it was basically just finding another stream of income, and I've always been about looking for multiple streams of income because one didn't seem like enough just from the corporate job, like the track that I was going, it, it wouldn't have worked. So looking into, uh, I didn't really like the stock options just because I didn't want to, uh, kind of research all the companies, keep up with all, all, all that stuff. Uh, so then I looked into at that time it was, uh, oh, what was it called? Uh, not, op, uh, it was options of some sort, uh, didn't work out too well. Uh, and then I actually ended up reading about uh, currency exchange. So Forex, so started that probably about five, six years. I'm still, and I'm still doing it here and there, but I look at it as similar to real estate cash flow. It's uh, trying to get a monthly consistent income from trading it and just using it as daily expenses. And then real estate on that side is more about building wealth. Got it. So the, the, the foreign exchange trading is an income play for you. For me, yeah. And the way you're doing it to make consistency is you need a system that you're going to follow. So you have your indicators on different currencies that you're tracking. I don't know if you do some arbitrage stuff where you're like, okay, I can move from the Canadian dollar to the US to the euro and back and how, how you're doing it. But you have a system where you can kind of swap between currencies and generate some return monthly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's it's. More, the system is there that fits my lifestyle. Um, and again, with similar to real estate and similar to trading is that each system might not, you might not like it, but I might like it, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I was the same way with options trading. I know a yeah. whole bunch of people love options yeah. and uh, that's great for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. For me, I got so obsessed into it. I had to study the company. Like you're saying, I kind of just, instead of just following the system, I would go deeper and it would it began occupying so much time for me that this thing that was supposed to be a, a multiple stream of income type strategy turned up to be something that was occupying all the hours of my life. And so for my personality type, because I, I guess I get a bit OCD-ish with topics yeah. that I'll dive into them, it, it, it wasn't the perfect fit, but for other people it can absolutely be a perfect fit. I'm curious, what can you give us an example? Like what's a currency trade for you? I've never done currency trades. Um, you know, other than the basic stuff, when you're going to the U.S., you're going to buy some American dollars or euros or yeah, it's it's it would be similar, like where you're buying one dollar uh, Canadian and you uh, buy buy it in U.S. and you might wait a couple days, a couple weeks, and if that exchange goes in your favor, then you sell it. So or you're you looking. So you have to look at some indicators, thinking 
Is it just technical analysis or are you looking at different fundamentals that says, oh, I think the Fed is going to be announcing this in a week. I'll buy some U.S. dollars because I think the U.S. is going to go up relative to Canadian dollars. And if it goes up, I'll then sell it for more Canadian than I entered the position into. I, so is I, it technical analysis or more kind of fundamentals of what's happening at the macro level of the economy? So I keep track of the fundamentals, but it's mainly technical based on because I am on a, almost a day, daily trade. So if the setup is there on a daily basis, I'll take that trade. If it's not there, then I won't take it at all. So I set it up that I don't really have to think about it. And I just look at specific indicators that say, okay, if it meets A, B, and C, I'll take it. And it's actually at a specific time in the day, I also do it. So I set it up and I like systems. So I set it up that it made it, I don't have to think about it with the three kids, with real estate, with, uh, at that time it was property management and stuff like that. It just, I didn't have time to just sit at the charts. So it was, uh, and I've tweaked the strategy over time, uh, 2020, was it, I guess last year with COVID, the fluctuations were very volatile. So I had to tweak it a little bit to make sure that it doesn't happen like that anymore. Tweak obviously with Forex uh, and currency, currency exchange, you can do leverage, but you have to play with that leverage very, very carefully because something leverage very good in your favor could also go bad as well. So it's just understanding that and playing with risk management that fits your personality essentially and how did you teach yourself was this through books and then you bought a course or all like youtube a series of youtube videos or all of the above pretty much everything like i've spent several thousand dollars on courses uh and that's like anybody going into real estate going into weekend seminars so just finding something that i like and learning from different people and what they brought to the table i kind of combined everything to something that suits my lifestyle and again it might not fit what you're looking for but it fits what fits me essentially and essentially my my um yeah, my mindset because trading 90% is psychological right so 10% is technical it's like so if you're trading and the market goes up like it was say for example a month ago with bitcoin or something like that where you might go oh let's get a little bit more aggressive let's add a little bit more leverage and then elon tweets and kind of and Stuff then, hits the fan, and then if you if you're on leverage <laughs> yeah. and your your position's called and you are out, yes. you're sold out of your position yes. whether you wanted to yeah. or not. Yeah, so the it's broker nasty. the broker will auto close your positions if there's not enough capital in your account and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's playing with that, understanding it, and where you are risk tolerance wise as well. Yeah, I, I guess now the systems and charting is so much better too because when I was doing a bit of options trading, I guess this would be in like 2003 and four, I was using a newspaper that I had to, to subscribe to. I think it was called the Investor's Business Daily okay. or, or something. It's from the US and I had to get always like the day old version to get some of the data points that I couldn't get on the internet. Like yeah. now you can get everything. You can get everything, yeah. But at that time I could get like 90% of what I needed, but there were some specific metrics I was looking at that I still needed from this newspaper. And I, even then I thought it was a bit crazy that I was like operating a day behind trying to get some of these metrics, but that's what I was going through. I, I'm curious for you on the, on the foreign exchange stuff, are there some currencies that you found that you just stick with that maybe aren't mainstream? Or is it like mostly euros, Canadian dollars, Japanese yen, can, you know? Um... Yeah, it's like there's about four or five that I just specifically trade um, just because the movements match the patterns that I'm looking for. So US dollar, Canadian dollar, um, the pound US dollar, the euro US dollar, and the Canadian dollar Swiss, Swiss franc. Oh, Canadian so, dollar Swiss franc. Yeah, it just huh. it just moves properly, I guess, and nothing too crazy. And the, and the movements aren't too volatile. So like if you're trading 
the pound uh, Japanese yen, it's much more volatile as well. And a lot of that movement is uh, in the evening or at nighttime because of the London sessions and the Tokyo sessions. So I'm not awake during that time to kind of keep track of things. So it just it just happened just based through research and understanding where pairs move and stuff like that. So. It's, it's funny that we kind of, uh, there's a whole bunch of us who have started in real estate, but because real estate is a little bit set it and forget it and a little bit you run out of capital yeah. because you can't keep buying, it, it, it kind of just automatically moves a certain personality type onto other things. Yeah. Like we got our real estate licenses, you got your real estate license, you just end up filling this void where you can't do any more with other things. But if we switch gears now a little bit and go to your real estate journey that was before the currency trading stuff, why real estate? Was that you still in your corporate job? You got attracted to creating a second stream of income? Like what, what was the attraction to real estate? It was just knowing that real estate, what it's done for just people with extreme wealth. So when I originally started, I got my, um, got a job downtown Toronto. Actually, I think it was North York, but I was living downtown Toronto. So the parents, my parents helped me with the down payment of the condo, but they're like, okay, it would be right at Young and Carlton. Uh, so right by old, old Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, and they said, here's the down payment, but you're, you got to cover your monthly rent. So, or the monthly mortgage payments, plus the condo payments and stuff like that. And what happened was I lived in the master and then I rented out the sunroom and the other bedroom. So it was a two plus den. So I rented out those two rooms. That's like an early Airbnb, man. Yeah. So it was house hacking before it was called house hacking. So I was doing that for probably about five years before I actually jumped into a kind of a single family uh, residential. And that's where I found uh, Rockstar at that time in terms of just uh, what were you doing in your corporate job? I've completely uh, market research. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I'm very data driven. So the decisions I make, a lot of it is based on data and in terms like for that's in everything in terms of just understanding the data and that's how I make my decisions. And, and we'll probably talk about it in terms of like what people think is gambling. I don't think it's gambling because if I have that slight edge, I can make that decision and it's a better decision for me. Yeah. Okay. So on, on that note, before we go uh, into this gambling topic, just the idea <laughs> of it, no, and looking at investments maybe as gambling and, yeah. and to extrapolate yeah. on that point a little bit, when you moved from a Toronto to a single family home in Kitchener, yeah. what data points were you looking at? Because I find a lot of people that we've both worked with over the years here at Rockstar is that if they're from Toronto and uh, you talk to them about Kitchener, yeah. it's sometimes like, you know, they get that look over their, 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 their eyes that, that why are you talking to me about Kitchener when, you know, I live in Toronto and want some opportunities in Toronto. What was the data points? What pulled you out there? I guess it was originally being from that yeah, area. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Kitchener. Um, so I knew, obviously I went to university of Waterloo and so I knew but that I don't area feel like that was well. enough for you. It, it, I was knowing what things was, was happening at that time. Um, prices were cheap and then obviously the data and reading about the bigger macro trends that you guys were providing at that time when I joined Rockstar as just an investor, it just made sense that um, I was still going back on pretty much a weekly basis. Uh, my parents are still there even right now. My brother's still there. So it was just, I had people there. I knew the area and it was the first place that made sense. It was just comfort level at that time. Okay, got it. So that was more comfort level. And then the, the basic numbers made sense. Price of the property was at, at a good price where if you rented it out, it would cover your costs. Yeah, cash flow, cash flow positive at that time. And yeah. was there a book that geared you towards real estate investing or, you know, what, what, what was, where was that idea hatched? I think it was just Googling something at that time. Um, I think prior to jumping in, 
I went into pretty much all those weekend seminars. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, Trump had one at that time, I believe it oh, was. Oh, was that the Trump era of yeah, real estate Trump seminars? Era. Yeah. Uh, those were actually the same guys that were licensing different yeah. people's names and doing the same real estate seminar <laughs> with like a different banner. So uh, I went to a, a lot of those free ones. Uh, I never, oh, actually, I think I ended up paying one. I don't know if it's from Rich Dad or Trump. I don't, but it was a tax lien one in the U.S., yeah. And uh, paid for it, and then I just refunded it pretty much a day after. I was like, "This is not the gonna tax work. lien one." Nick and I almost bought a piece of land that was on the south side of Lake Erie in the U.S. that was actually underwater, and we didn't know. <laughs> we didn't know. We're like, "This is a great deal." And then someone—I don't know how—we got uncovered it, and someone sent us a picture of like, "Hey, the lot is actually about six inches underneath the water right now." So we're like, "Okay, this is probably not a good tax lien opportunity." But um, or maybe it was. Who knows? We didn't have the insider information for for that particular area. Era. So um, when you looked into real estate, though. Was that coming from a place of frustration in your corporate world? Like, what was the spark? Was it just that the realization that your income wasn't going to give you the life you wanted? Yeah, yeah. It was more about looking long term and just seeing, okay, if I'm making, say, $50,000 a year and this is how much I need to save to get this, it's going to take much, much longer than I want. So that was kind of the spark to it. And then reading, uh, then diving self into books, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, your website at that time was still, I think, Real Estate Renegades. Yeah. So going right. through that, going through that, all that stuff, and just educating myself and learning is just like, okay, real estate is the route that I want to take. And I was already kind, of obviously, doing it with the condo rental at the same time, but I didn't realize how far that would actually take me. So then, kind of with more education, it d- d- decided me, okay, yeah, I got to jump into this. Uh, as quick as possible. And then you've, you know, you then got your real estate license. Where did that idea come from? That was just, I'm going to quit my job. Uh, eventually it was, at, I was getting kind of bored at the, uh, corporate job and just needed to find something else. So I got my real estate license in 2011, I believe it was. And I was working, I guess, part-time just doing deals here and there, family, friends and stuff like that. Um, I was a rock star member at that time. Back in 2009, I think you joined. Wow. End of 2008 or 2009. How you trusted us back then? That was crazy, Tim. That's crazy that you trusted us back then. The funny story was, I think I bootlegged your book, (laughs) the Income (laughs) for Life book, somehow. At that time, there was... Because it was probably downloaded somewhere. There was a PDF of it somewhere. No, I I do remember because when uh, the websites back then were all HTML, right? So then you could have... you, You went to the website and you put backslash and then you put like, thank you dot like dot html and it automatically brought you to the thank you website with the download there so i didn't actually have to opt into it so you were just like i am not giving these guys my email address because i know they're going to spam me to death so forget it i will get this book in some other didn't you then buy a paper copy of the book off amazon i yeah yeah i have the paper i have a paper copy copy. yeah yeah, i have a paper copy (laughs) okay so you so you were basically smart you figured out how to get the book without giving the email address on our website but i still ended up giving the email when i came to the the in the end we get you you in the end we get you at some point okay so then you came to the free training you signed up as a rockstar member and got your license then i think just one day i feel like you just like almost knocked on the door and said hey i got my real estate license i want to join you guys or something yeah once i got my license uh it was essentially, I, I wanted to join, see how I could help investors. But at the time I was still working full time. So it wasn't a good fit at that time. And then the one afternoon I actually got laid off back in, I think it was 2013. I uh, got laid off from a job that I just switched about a year in. And then I realized uh, during that year, I jumped jobs because they were toting a bonus. 
Oh, I think I remember you talking about this. So the pay was a lateral movement. It was the same payment, but they were saying, okay, uh, the previous couple of years we had 20% uh, bonus at the end of the year. And so I was like, okay, I'm willing to kind of take the risk. So I was moving to a company from a company that I actually really enjoyed the people uh, working with. The job was kind of whatever. Uh, So it was still a whatever job with new people. But then there was a potential for that extra income. And I was like, okay, this could be a jump. And then at the end of the year, did not find that jump. There was no bonus that year. And they restructured and they, the, I guess the group that I was dissolved and then I got laid off. So I was only been there a year. And then when I was driving back home, uh, my stomach was in a pit just because I was like, you got, you get laid off. It's a, it's a, you get called into HR and you're like, okay, what's going on? Right. So. Um, and then that time I was just scrambling in terms of, okay, what do, what can I do? And then, uh, I think I reached out to you at that time, probably a couple of days later and say, Hey, okay, can I join, join the team full time at that time? So the way I'm hearing it is we were your last option. Pretty much not. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was also, uh, so before I actually joined full time, uh, so we were, we were about to have, um, Jaden at that time. So we knew we were pregnant, uh, at that time. And we, I had another job offer to live downtown Toronto. But at that time, I actually moved to Mississauga. So it was the, it was thinking of, okay, do I work in real estate, which is self-employment, I can control all that stuff, or do I go to corporate again, where I have to take the GO train, I'll be up at seven, back by seven probably, uh, and I was just having my newborn at that uh, at the end of the year. So I had the job offer, but I, I declined it. So, and then I decided to jump full-time in uh, real estate and so you were fortunate to have your real estate license at that moment because you had the license. I had that correct? license, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that gave you the option then to reach out to us and say, "Hey, I want to work with Rockstar. Do you, you know, is that is that a possibility?" Yeah. And of course, for us, it was, you know, you were a Rockstar member. You understood us and who we were. We're not like a normal brokerage. Yeah. And it was just like a, a perfect fit. And then you went on to work with lots of different investors. You brought some of your friends here who've yeah. invested. Yeah. I think Fadi was Fadi on and Matt, the, Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were on the podcast recently. Um, so that journey is kind of quite interesting. But w- what stands out for me is that you had like a plan B ready to go. And I think sometimes when I hear some of my own friends talk about work and life, I hear them say things like they're going to stay with what they're doing for the next 10 years and then they'll make a change. And what goes through my mind always is, well, what happens if in two years there's some economic change where you're kind of cut loose. Mm-hmm. You should probably have plans B, B, C, and D ready to go as little side hustle projects. So like if you're going to be currency trading, start it now. If you're going to get a real estate license, get it now. If you're going to start a website and sell some stuff on Amazon, do it now. Yeah. Because you don't want to kind of get like cut off from your income stream as your only source of income and then scramble. Yeah. So even though you had that pit in your stomach and you were scrambling, yeah. you already had some kind of irons in the fire that were going to carry you to the next step. Yeah. And I think that was almost like a life raft. And that's just the thing I want more people to understand is that do not have a single source of income. Yeah. Have life rafts available to you that are, even if they're just staying by your side and you yeah. don't need them because you're treading water and you're swimming fine, yeah. that you can just kind of grab onto. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just very comforting. And you, I feel, just naturally started putting those in place in your life. Yeah, and it was a lot of obviously self-learning at that time, like after work, I know working corporate and then coming home and then just researching. And then at the time it was, uh, we were doing rent to own at that time. And then I had websites up. I was doing Amazon at that time. So it was just dabbling in as many things as I could and then figuring out what I like and what I don't like. Um, and that's, again, that's each personality 
uh, figuring out what they look like. It's funny sometimes when, uh, you know, I was getting up at like four 30, my, my peak was craziness was crazy. I don't know if it's crazy. Cause I really loved those days, but, uh, it was four 30 in the morning, five in the morning was more, you know, for years, but there was a short time, maybe two years where it was four 30 in the morning and I would get so much done between 4.35 in the morning and 7, 7.30 before my family would make up, wake up. And that if, if I ever came home or was driving early in the morning or late at night for whatever reason, I'd always look around my neighborhood and if I would see lights on, just like a random light in someone's house, I would always wonder, is that someone else doing what you, you're describing, Tim, and that yep. we've done? Someone working, burning the midnight oil or getting up early in the morning to kind of get curious about something and build something for themselves. Yep. Um, there was a moment in, in my own life where my basement, I had an unfinished basement that I was working out of when we, um, launched rockstar because I would hide down there in the mornings because when my kids woke up, I didn't want them to, um, you know, they, I would get distracted by them. They would get distracted by me. So I would go down and, um, it would seem like I'm not at home during those hours and I had this little light bulb on that burned. I never turned it off. Like I just always kind of left it on. You know, it was one of those unfinished basement lights where you have that little chain that you kind of pull. And I had a kind of a nice desk down there and stuff. And one of my neighbors commented, they said, why is that light in your basement? Like always on. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like doing this thing. I'm trying to like quit my job and build this stuff. So whenever I see lights on in weird places for hours at a time, it's just, it's it's just a thing that I, that I think about for whatever reason. Anyway, um, Tim, with you, you then got some real estate, but then you also started a property management company out in Kitchener. What was that about and why did you do that? At that time, it was just, there was a lot of, uh, helping a lot of investors find the properties and start their journey. And a lot of them asked, okay, do you know any property managers? And I've never used personal property managers myself. I've always been managing it. And at that time it was, okay, if I don't know anybody, um, it's hard for me to recommend anybody that I don't use personally. Um, even though maybe some of our team have used them, I just haven't used them personally. I just want to make sure I can vet that properly, uh, person properly. So uh, one of my business partners at that time, we said, yeah, hey, let's, uh, let's just start one. You can do all the, he, he did all the kind of the, the maintenance and stuff. I did all the tenant placements and dealing with the tenants and stuff. So we started one um, just out of necessity, essentially. And we, and it was through only the investors that I was pretty much working with to find properties. And then I said, Hey, here's a whole package. I can manage it for you. Um, I can find the tenant. Um, we can do the day-to-day property management at the same time. So we grew that, um, to a point that it was either we grow it bigger in terms of start hiring people and, uh, or, and, or kind of doing less of what we were both doing professionally. So he was a chiropractor and obviously I would have to do less real estate sales in terms of uh, working with investors. We didn't want to do that. So we ended up actually selling most of the rent roll uh, of that to another company. So it was a good, probably about, we were managing probably about I think 35, 40 doors at that time. So it was, it was a good amount, but it was, uh, you learn a lot very quickly dealing with a lot of tenants when you're managing that much. I think when you're when you're managing that many properties too, you learn a, a lot about how Canadians manage their finances, yeah. and you also realize that very few Canadians save money, for through no fault of their own often. But um, some of the conversations you get in with different people who are renting from you, sometimes it gets you get emotionally attached sometimes, you yeah. know. And if there's maintenance requests on the property, and then you're talking to investors, it, it, it's a, a property management is a difficult. Thing. It's why I have so much respect for good property managers because they're stuck between tenants and landlords or, or smaller investors. Yeah. 
And it's a tough, it's like a lose-lose situation. Like whenever a property manager calls, it's usually never for good news. Mm -hmm. There's always something bad happening on the property, right? So that was cool that you got to exit that. Yeah, it was, it it gave the pretty much the best stories as well. Just dealing with so many people in a short amount of time. Just the stories that came from that, it was just uh, a couple of them are like my lifelong tenant stories that I'll always talk about. What what are some of those? The, 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 the main two would be the, the stripper pole in the bedroom where I got a text message prior to them evicting. I, so I messaged them just saying, Hey, uh, uh, the, I think it was at the time it was like your N4 is coming up. Uh, it's going to expire soon. If not, we're going to go through the standard procedure and follow the, the landlord tenant board, get a message back. And I, and I, at that time I didn't realize what it really meant. So the message came back and it said something along the lines: is there any other non-monetary ways that I can pay for rent? So I was like, no, I need X amount. So like, I, it didn't cross my mind. And then when we actually evicted them, they, we went into the room and there was a stripper pole hooked up top to bottom and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's what it meant. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Nice, nice Canadian kid didn't clue in on yeah. what he was, what was being suggested yeah. on the text message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. And then the other one was, uh, and this was a good one because uh, we, I was, uh, this one was involved with property management. I was, we were, I think it was either a revisit to a property or we were actually showing it. There was a tenant in the basement. So typical thing that we do when we go in, obviously knock the doors, announce that we're there coming for the showing. And so we knocked the door, so didn't hear anything, went downstairs and a guy comes running out, buck naked, nothing, covering his junk. And he's like, he starts screaming. He's like, well, what the hell is going on? Uh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I had a showing book. So then I walked back up the stairs and, we, and I told the investor that I was with, I was like, okay, we got to wait a little bit. There's somebody down there. And then he came uh, running up the stairs. He put it back on his, uh, his underwear and he came back up and started screaming at, at us. So my investor at that time, he, she brought out her uh, phone and started video recording. So we have some of it on video and the guy, so he's pretty much fully naked other than his underwear. So he grabs my uh, jacket collar at that time and just says, Hey, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here and just running his mouth. So, uh, my investor was scared for me. It wasn't, and were you supposed, that was a booked appointment. It was a booked appointment. We were there, uh, proper notice and stuff. It doesn't, didn't look like he had, maybe he, he didn't get the notice or whatnot. I'm not hundred percent sure, but he came out, we were at the top of the stairs and he just grabbed my shirt. Uh, and then I was like, okay, uh, hopefully nothing happens, but I was kind of prepared on what was going on because, uh, he was at the, we were at the top of the stairs with the landing. So right behind him was the 12 foot or 12 stairs down. So if anything, I was ready to just kind of push him because he actually legitimately physically grabbed my collar and said, you're not supposed to be here. And I had the keys in my other hand. And, uh, so I had the keys, one key sticking out of in between my fingers, (laughs) ready to throw a punch just in case, uh, nothing happened at the end of it. And he went back downstairs and then we actually didn't go in it. And then we found out, uh, we just sat at the front of the property talking a little bit longer about it. And we found out there was a lady friend that came out after, um, like and left about 15, 20 minutes later after us. Uh, investor ended up actually buying the property anyways, we asked, uh, for vacant possession and stuff like that. So, but we ended up getting the property at the end of the day, (laughs) but that was a fun one with the video. And I think I remember coming into the team meeting, uh, and I played the video for everybody. (laughs) I vaguely remember this now. It feels like so many years ago, but I have some vague recollection of this with you. Holy smokes. Um, so when you, okay. When you, now, when you reflect back on real estate, what do you talk to people about today? Like, do you still recommend real estate to people? What are the metrics that you would look at or would 
ask a, one of your friends to look at before they buy? What's your overall view on real estate and what are the two or three things that you're looking at on a property? Uh, overall, great vehicle to build wealth. It's not going to be typically not going to be a get rich quick, obviously. Um, looking at properties and the numbers have to make sense to that particular investor. Whether it's obviously cash flow positive is good, but if it's cash flow negative and you might have another invest uh, property that's cash flow positive at the same time, but net net you're still positive. If you look at your portfolio whole, as a whole, it might make sense. So one is looking at the numbers to make sure it makes sense. And two is that property fit what you're looking for in your lifestyle as well. Uh, so for me right now, I have a lot of condos, condo townhouses because they're easy to manage. I don't have to deal with roofs, foundation leaks, windows, nothing along the lines of that. Uh, but you might not like it because of the condo fees. So as long as that property makes sense and uh, to your lifestyle, I say it's a good investment uh, and the numbers make sense as well. And then obviously when we look at the cities we're investing in, uh, look at uh, what we talk about, look at all the macro trends. So uh, job growth, um, transportation growth, um, economic growth in terms of just general stuff. If those are the cities that we're investing in, overall we're buying good neighborhoods, as you mentioned, good neighborhoods, good homes. Long-term wise, we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're pretty fortunate just with those fundamentals, like you mentioned, just the economic activity because of the population growth yeah. that we get in this area. We naturally kind of get this push. And then the Bank of Canada, let's face it, it subsidies all of our real estate purchases because they're so crazy with their monetary policy. It just juices hard assets. Yeah. Um, it's what, I, I don't know if this drives you nuts or not, but I notice a lot of times in the media, we'll, we'll have people who make statements. I feel like it's different economists or different VPs of, you know, some role in finance at different companies in basically in Toronto that will make statements like we really need to address the housing problem here in Canada. And I always feel like they are missing the big story that we need to really address the monetary policy and the fiscal policy. The real estate situation here in Canada is largely a symptom yeah. of the monetary policy. We could have more supply. Absolutely. You know, if the federal government's going to allow more people into the country, we should have a plan to build more homes. Like, yeah, that's pretty sure. basic. Sure. So there is that. But to just say we need to address housing and not kind of point the finger back at the monetary and fiscal policy of this country, I always feel like, are they just, they don't understand that a lot of what we see price-wise here is a symptom of crazy monetary policy. But uh, I don't know, I don't know if that drives you nuts or not, or if that's just my own little pet peeve. Um, but is that something you pay attention to? Or is that just something that like, uh, doesn't interest you? I keep that in the back of my mind, but it's always at the end of the day, it's supply and demand. So we know and I took economics and that's my major in school. And I think that's the only thing I learned from school is <laughs> supply, demand. If supply goes up, uh, supply goes down, demand goes up, right? So, and adding all the monetary policy, the immigration, it just continues to drive the supply down and the demand up. So then now, now you're into different, you're doing currency trading, but you're also trading different cryptocurrencies, correct? Yeah. Jumped into crypto as well. And so I just want to get your thoughts on it. So let's start at the, at the beginning, your overall thoughts on Bitcoin. Is that something you're interested in, not interested in? And then we'll kind of dive into other stuff. What's your thought on Bitcoin first? Uh, as a kind of what you've talked about before in terms of just it being a store of value, a digital store of value. When I first got into Bitcoin was back in, uh, I think it was 2016, 2017. And I, and I pulled up a transaction from previous and I looked at it and I bought, I think it was at that time, uh, $1,500. And I had, I had legitimately had one Bitcoin. No uh, way. Yeah. 
but I ended up selling it. I, and I don't remember what it was for. I think it was some kind of multi-level marketing thing I was doing. I don't know what it was back then, but I was like, oh, okay. I had more than I, so I got exposed to it way back five, six years ago, but I never really jumped in it to probably the last two years, I would say, uh, just understanding it a bit more, understanding more about, okay, what's happening to our, our dollar, how much money printing is going on. Okay, this is a good place just to store the money. And then you look at the bigger players, the institutions, the hedge funds that are jumping in. Okay, these guys are putting money in. These guys are, are obviously smarter than me. So there's got to be some more into this at the same time. Yeah, it's worth paying attention it's, yeah, to. Yeah, it's definitely worth paying attention there's a, to. There's a rock star member, I won't mention their name, that they were doing some stuff online and they were accepting Bitcoin for payment way back, like years ago. They had over 100 Bitcoin. Oh. And they just sold it because yeah. they were getting it and they understood that there was some value there, but then they just used it to buy other stuff yeah. wherever, you know, whoever was accepting Bitcoin back then. And uh, we were talking to them about, I guess, six months ago now, and they're just kind of kicking themselves yeah. like, I cannot believe I had over a hundred Bitcoin and I just was just spending it, you know, now, um, yeah, now that would be worth quite yeah. a lot. In hindsight, it's 2020 yeah, all the time. Yeah, totally. So now then, are you taking your foreign exchange, you know, your, your currency exchange trading knowledge? to this altcoin space is is that something you're kind of just see similarities in or is it completely different the trading is because you little are bit, yeah so talk about that yes so i'm i have my portfolio where i'm just buying and holding coins for long term so bitcoin ethereum uh and a few other ones that are technically considered altcoins uh majority of them are looking at maybe uh 18 months 24 months down the road and then I will convert them back to kind of Bitcoin is kind of where the standard is is where I think is going to be more long term. So I'm trying to gain a higher growth rate within the first couple of years and then continue to funnel it to the more stable ones, obviously. And then on the side, it's similar to uh, foreign exchange. It's tr actively trading the coins uh, on a little bit on margin and on um, to create extra income income used to pay for day-to-day -day expenses or income to continue to buy more coins at the same time. And uh, I like how you slipped in a little bit on margin uh, <laughs> in there. So you're using a little bit of leverage there. We always, and I know we, we're on the same page. That's yeah. like playing with fire. But yeah. if you're aware of what you're doing, yeah. you're aware of the pros and you're aware of the cons on that. And the last few weeks, that's been rather interesting and dangerous to be playing with. You've survived the last few weeks of the price movement? Yeah, sur survived. Uh, had to reallocate some portfolio to cover some of the margin stuff. Uh, but that was more mistakes of what I had. So I had a little bit of a Dogecoin and oh, did you? that oh, uh, that didn't go as well. So I, I haven't been following. I know it pumped like crazy yeah. when Elon was talking about it. Has it come down? Uh, it's come down about again half of where it was originally. Uh, and funny thing enough is I had about 50,000 Dogecoin back when it was five, five cents, eight cents. And I just offloaded it because it was so volatile at that time. So I was like, okay, I'm forgetting. So that's pre-Elon. Pre-Elon. Oh, and it ran up to, I think, 71 cents. I'm like, oh, I just left a lot on the table there. And then, uh, yeah, just some of the leverage trades is just, once you do it, you learn from your mistakes, obviously. And that's a lot of the time with trading, I think, is that's where you have to learn, is once you make that mistake, you're not going to make it again, or you're just going to adjust your risk profile and how much leverage you're going to use. And I'm, it's not that I'm risky in terms of I'm using leverage. It's the education that and the data points, what we talked about before, is I use all that to say, okay, 
I'm okay with this. If it goes down this much, this is how much I'm going to lose. I'm comfortable with that. Is there, are there any similarities between trading the currencies to the altcoins? Is it the same type of technical analysis or are you finding it's completely two different worlds? It's different. Yeah. It's definitely different. In, in what yeah. way? Um, I, the altcoins and even Bitcoin, I would say, doesn't have the technicals. It doesn't follow the technicals as much as some of the currencies because it's so volatile still. So movements like uh, Elon tweeting and stuff like that, it'll, it'll move those uh, coins much more dramatically and you wouldn't expect that in a in, in the actual technical portion so the fundamentals don't match up with the technicals where currency it's you kind of know where it's going based on also the fundamentals at, at the same time because i think it's just too new of a space for anybody yeah there's historic data yeah, behind the currencies yeah. and the, these some of these coins have have nothing really to them a lot of times people will ask me about bitcoin and they'll say well do you still believe in this bitcoin thing it's so volatile yeah and i always feel like saying listen if you're in the first 12 years of the discovery of minting gold coins yeah do you think those first 12 years are volatile? Mm -hmm. Like probably when the first coins minted, maybe you can get one cow for it. And then, you know, two weeks later, you can get 30 cows for it. And then a week after that, you can get back two cows until the gold has a history of how many cows can be traded. I don't know why I picked cows, yeah. but how many cows can be traded for those gold coins. And then that kind of evens out the volatility over time. Yeah. But in the first 12 years, if this really is a monetary asset that could be a global digital store of wealth, layer one, base layer money, mm -hmm. This is going to be where that would mean that this thing could be worth in fiat terms trillions of dollars. Yep. There is just no way you're going from whatever Bitcoin's worth today, like 600 billion, 700 billion, whatever it is right now, yep. to let's say 10 trillion, 100 trillion in a straight line. No, no. It's just too new of an asset. Yep. So we're going to, the volatility, the, the, the risk that you're taking is that there's a huge upside to this in this new digital space. But the volatility is something you're going to have to endure. Yep. And if you don't study and learn why you're holding this thing, you can get just demolished really quickly. Yeah. If you're panicking, you're panic selling or whatnot, then you can definitely get it. And look at, back, look at it back at real estate. And when we're holding real estate and there's a dip, we know that, okay, that's fine. The tenant continues to pay. Um, still getting in income off. It's covering my mortgages. I don't have to sell. So I'll ride the wave. So similar, the, the mindset is similar when you're going into something very new at the same time. It's just, you just have to hold, if you believe in the fundamentals of it, the long-term growth of it, uh, then you kind of just go with it, ride the waves up and down. So yeah, the waves are a little bit sickening. My like <laughs> Elon tweeted, my stomach dropped, felt a little bit sick on that day. Uh, but <laughs> Slow, I think the slow, whole world, though, if you were recovering. into the space, yeah. the whole world was feeling sick on that day. Yeah. Like, dude, what are you doing? But I think it taught everybody that a lot of these movements are bigger than one individual. Because I think we were just talking before we yep. were recording that Elon's messaging is starting to lose some impact. Yep. Yep. People are realizing, I think, that this whole space is bigger than one person. Yeah. And then when you get governments, El Salvador just announced, obviously, their Bitcoin's legal. So that gave me chills. Watching yeah. that gave me chills. So you get some of those things coming. You're like, okay, this isn't, this is whatever he tweets it's he does have influence but at the grand scheme of things it's not it's going to be nothing what about the um exchanges that you're using do you have any there's i don't know if there's some that you you want to share or not want to not share but are there any um exchanges or digital platforms that you're using that you really like for whatever reason uh i personally like ftx 
Okay. Yeah, I've heard a lot about FTX. Didn't they sponsor like the arena in Miami now? Is that 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 FTX? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they did. Just, they, they, I think uh, they did. Yeah, in, they just sponsored somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I I, I don't know anything about them, yeah. but they're like a digital asset exchange. Yeah, it's like an exchange, like I would say, like like a, a bit buy here in Canada kind of thing. Yeah, but more you can do more. You can you, you can buy different altcoins. It has much more variety. You can trade on it. Uh, you can just hold your coins. And can you trade trade coin for coin? Yes. Like, or do you have to always go to fiat? Uh, no, so you can convert coin to coin. So if I said uh, oh, I had I had I made a little bit of money on Ethereum and I wanted to convert it all to Bitcoin, you just hit the convert button. Um, the exchange, the the rates and the fees vary and the price points, but a lot of the when I look at the exchange, it's more about convenience for me. Um, I don't look at oh I can save a couple dollars here because I'm opening up another uh, exchange or a wallet. So for me, I just I want to be able to get money into the exchange easily. And I was looking to get it out easily as well. Mm -hmm. And I'll be willing to pay that little bit extra in the transfer fees or the exchange rate fees or whatnot, uh, just for the convenience. Cause I know I'll make it up at the end of the day. And FTX offers you charting as well or no, you're using different platforms. There's, there's charting in that I use, use as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you like that yeah. one. Any yeah. others that come to mind or no, that's a primary one. Uh, that's the primary one to be buying. Uh, some stuff and then I do like BitBuy to get money into like fiat money into it's a nice rail here in Canada yeah yeah yeah, yeah. easy way to get your money into the yeah, system yeah so yeah. what I'll do is I'll if I if I'm putting money in I'll buy, uh, put money in uh, via EMT it just because the the amount you can do is up to 10,000 and so a lot of the other exchanges like Coinbase they uh, they cap it at I think it's like 1500 a week so if oh, you, do they? yeah so unless you wanted to do a wire and to do more amount, I'm just lazy. I don't want to go to the bank to do the wire. So oh, and uh, I've been making wires. There's nothing more old school <laughs> than making a wire. Like I'm thinking I'm going to wire money to, you know, a place like BitBuy. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just why I want out of the system to stand in line yeah. with wire instruction printed off on a piece of paper. And then the person uh, the teller there has to enter it all in kind of manually. Yeah. And then they print it off at the printer, three copies. You sign the copy and then it goes through. But you have to wait like... You know, sometimes it could be overnight. If it's over the weekend, you might be, Waiting you know, going from Friday till yeah. Monday yeah. and then getting confirmation that it's there and then understanding how some of these digital assets work. You're like, this blockchain offers legitimate use case value when I can transfer money to you. Like if you're overseas and you need something from me, I can transfer you some Bitcoin with final settlement in minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so watching that old system, there's just everything about that system makes me convinced it's going to die. Yeah. It just Same. can't work. It's too old. Yeah. It's like when you see the broken down car and then there's like these new cars on the road. You're like, these new cars are just going to take over. You know, this stuff is old. So, uh, okay. So FTX and um, anything about your thinking around when you would get out i don't want to say get out because you're trading you're, this is an income stream for you just like the currency trading stuff yeah because I, I guess where i'm headed is that for me the way i look at it is i want my family to have a base of bitcoin absolutely yeah and if there's going to be another evolution of this digital space um i might take 20 percent of my portfolio and say okay i'll allocate x number of that to ethereum and then i'll chop up some more and allocate it to some of the other smaller stuff which i have not done yeah but that's kind of the way i'm thinking about it. but i do want a big base of bitcoin because i feel like 20 30 and 40 years from now we're going to look back at this moment thinking wow we witnessed the birth of a monetary asset yeah and i want to 
selfishly for my family, just yep. being honest, is accumulate this for my family and to store my time and labor in it. Do you have a time frame where you want to kind of transition into Bitcoin? Um, some of what you're doing or no, just let it evolve and see how things plan out. Uh, I think for the, the foreseeable future, it'll kind of just let it evolve to see if, say, for example, you put a thousand bucks in, and we were talking about uh, Thorchain Rune. And we, I have expectations based on education that I've been reading on. Uh, I'm part of several groups, paid memberships and stuff like that. From all that, their expectations of, okay, it's going to 30x, 20x, whatever, by the end of 2022. So once that happens, I would be, okay, I'm willing to move that over to Bitcoin. Um, and that stays more so. I don't want to touch that, leave it for a long term until it's kind of needed. Uh, forced savings, like one of the TFSAs that you never touch kind of deal. And same thing, I, so I took my kids' money in terms of their birthday money, their Chinese New Year money. And so they had it the sitting. Chinese New Year Chinese money? money? Now you're so, serious. Yeah. So now you're ha- serious. They had it sitting in uh, their, no, I had Tangerine account, account set up. So withdrew it all. And this was last year and through a, a bunch in Ethereum, a bunch in Rune and some, a little bit in Bitcoin and just holding it for them. And they've already tripled their money at that time. I'm like, okay, and just leave it in there and just mentally assign it to them until it's time, until it's time for them to actually use it or uh, whatever we need it for. Yeah, cool. Okay. And then how do you look at the different things? I look at um, a Bitcoin as a, as a pure money. I look at it as a digital form of money. And I look at all the other ones as different forms of technology. In my mind, that just makes a lot of sense. I'm like, okay, these are like more like tech plays yep. um, than they are money. They don't have the characteristics of money in the way I understand money and the way I've studied money through history. I think you need different characteristics like money needs to be saleable across space, yep. time and scales. Yep. And Bitcoin does that very well. These other things look like they might have some use cases to them that are legitimate, um, but they're not money. So I separated my mind to the other ones as like I'm investing in a tech startup. That's the way I look at it. And if you're looking at investing in tech startups from my own experience living through, the, you know, the kind of tech boom and, and bust in that era is that you have to go in anticipating that if you go into 10, one yep. may work out and nine are just going to be absolute bust. What's the framework you use to look at this stuff? Is it just you're trading it and that's it? Or do you have a bigger framework and how you're looking at the space? The uh, similar to what you're looking at uh, thinking is that out of all the smaller altcoins, it's okay, yeah, let's put some money in. We have a plan of, okay, where this is potentially going based on how much it'll grow in terms of market cap. And then if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, get your money out. So fully expect it to not do anything or even go a little bit lower. And if it goes below a point of your threshold, you can take it out and put it back into, say, for example, Bitcoin. Uh, But it is kind of looking at like a mini, your portfolio is like a mini joint, uh, like a venture capitalist, essentially. So you're throwing money into multiple things all of them have potential growth, but you don't know which one will hit and when and when it will hit at the same time. But you do have a, a timeline that you'll kind of adhere to to figure out um, what's good and what's bad, essentially. Yeah, fascinating times, Tim. I mean, really, I feel lucky to be alive during this time to see that announcement from El Salvador. Yeah. I feel like like that, that legitimately gave me goosebumps. Like we are witnessing something extraordinary here. I I really thought it was like a declaration of war against the US dollar. I'm like, these guys are never going to be able to pass this. And on CNBC today, I don't know if you saw Jack Mahler's talking on CNBC, but there's a clip being shared of him. And the journalists are just repeating the standard language like, um, they asked him a question. So if you're not familiar with Jack Mahler's, he is he has a company called Strike, and they're using the Lightning Network, which is a second layer on top of Bitcoin, to make uh, Bitcoin transactions really seamlessly quick, uh, low fees, 
Um, so you, it, the usability of it, they're increasing basically. Yep. Um, and he's worked with El Salvador to kind of bring that technology that his company is developing with Strike into El Salvador. And the CNBC, he was on CNBC and the CNBC journalists today were asking him like questions like, are you surprised they did this because the IM, some analysts are saying the International Monetary Fund, which is supporting um, El Salvador, might not give them the billion dollars worth of aid that they were, you know, hoping to get. What The risk in them not getting that is quite high now that they're going to do some of this Bitcoin stuff. What's your thoughts on that? And his response was like just so on point. He basically said, the risk of them not doing it is what you should be asking because they have no currency that stores their citizens' wealth. Yeah. If you're somebody in El Salvador, you literally have nothing to be able to buy. There's no like stock market that they can create an account on. So now they can have on their phone a little wallet. They buy a little bit of Bitcoin, and if they hold on to that, they might have the first thing where they have property rights, something that may go up in value over time for the first time in their lives. And the analysts are asking them questions about the IMF and you know billions of dollars that might go to the government and never make it to the people. This is about banking the entire world. Yeah. It's so much bigger, and I feel like the media is so far behind on the storylines. It's very kind of frustrating to hear. So it's just a fascinating time. Like when your kids, you know, the next 10 or 20 years for your kids and what they're going to see, just imagine like it's going to be crazy. Yeah. And with the assets that we're kind of accumulating now, hopefully everything is good. Well, I think everything, <laughs> kind of do everything for the, the future do, is bright. Do I think everything if you're, for the if kids, you're paying right? attention to this world and everybody can argue about what they think is the right coin and this and that yeah. i'm going to, I, I do personally just because i'm maybe it's the old gold guy in me i'm just tied to bitcoin yeah. i just feel like that's the base you must understand this and you know then you can play around the fringes and other yeah. stuff that you want but you must build your base and uh i'm yeah i'm excited about the future okay i i just want to ask you a couple more questions on when you um look back now how old are you uh, turning 40 this year. Dude, you're turning 40. I look like I'm 20, though. You do look like you're 20. Um, when you uh, look back on, you know, the last, I guess, 20 years of your life, um, what, what were some of the pivotal moments, if you had to reflect now? You know, usually everybody has two or three moments where they're like, oh, that was a key thing in my life. What would you say were some of those? I know I'm putting you on the spot right now, but I'm, I'm curious. Does anything come to mind? The... First one would probably be getting laid off, actually, and just realizing that I don't have the control in something like that, even though no matter what you do in corporate, uh, somebody else, unless you uh, even, well, even if you're a CEO, you got board of directors and stuff, but you don't, I didn't have as much control as I wanted. And uh, that definitely changed my mindset. Okay, uh, jumping into real estate full-time self-employment, I can control everything, uh, how much I do, uh, is going to be based on how much I'll earn at the same time and I can control all that. So I'm a little bit OCD in terms of I like control everything. So it's hard for me to yeah, pass. I feel like pass, your trading spreadsheets are pretty intense. Yeah, pass stuff on. <laughs> a lot of a lot of Excel spreadsheets over the days. Um, the second one would probably be selling one of my first investment properties. Just realizing you, you always see the growth on paper. So you know, okay, what your mortgage payment or sorry, what your mortgage balance is, you know, market value. So, but it's all paper right now, but once you sell it and then you have that check or bank draft or whatever in your bank, you're like, Oh, okay. This is what real estate has done for me. And you real estate. Okay. Okay. I just, I need to do more of this to get more 
of that result essentially. So I'd say those are probably the two big ones um, going through that. And then obviously having the kids and just realizing that it's not right now for me, it's not about me. It's more about building the base so they can be essentially financially free to not worry about anything. And then as well as the grandkids. So they're most, they're going to live a better life than I am. And that's, I think that's a goal with the majority of parents is that they always want their kids to do better, have things that are better. So the Bitcoin, the real estate, all that holding is good for them. The, that's why I need, I need extra sides of income so I can do what I want to do. So I don't have to sell the more real estate and stuff like that. So as more income streams yeah, come in, then I can live and as our, our yeah, yeah, as our motto here, your life, your terms, right? So the more I can do that and the more income I can get, I can live better and stuff like that. So there's like, I have, there's big goals that I want to be doing. Like I want to be traveling more. I don't want to be sitting in economy when I travel. I want that private jet kind of deal. So it's just more of that stuff that need to come in, but it's the base is set for the kids to benefit from everything after. Yeah. And I think your life, your terms comes from the moment where you really don't have to worry about money too much anymore. And you might not have the private jet, but when you can go to a restaurant and order the steak that you want, maybe and not look at the menu, just that alone is huge. Because I think when I was younger, Nick and I, you know, you'd look at those prices and you would freak out. You're like, I'm not going to, I want the ribeye. Yeah. I'm not going to pay 45 bucks for the yeah. ribeye. That'll freaking bankrupt me. Yeah. Yeah. So there's kind of these moments that you can achieve that really are like living life on your yeah. terms, even before you get what you're yeah. calling. And kinda- it's, and it's getting a, t- a taste of it as well. And I remember, um, one, one of our student rentals. Uh, so I have a couple joint venture partners on that one and we took cash flow from two months and we splurged on eating out. So we went to Jacob's. And we racked up a $1,500 bill at no Jacob's. Way. Yeah, for three of us. And then the next day... That was one meal. That was one yeah, meal. Yeah. And then the next day, we went to a Japanese restaurant, uh, uh, pri- a private one where they it was like 10 courses and stuff like that. And it was about $300 a head. So we took the cash flow from the property to pay for that. And we're like, oh, okay, this is what... I'm, obviously, I don't think any, you're not going to do it all the time, but it's just a good to taste kind of those goals. And then you continue to work for them as as well so totally yeah one of those moments it's interesting you're saying that one of those moments for me was that when we rent when the first time we went to croatia and rented a boat for the family to go like a motor kind of you know a a guy's driving the boat for us kind of thing and 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 we're going around the islands and i just remember thinking this is the best thing that we've ever done and it really that moment kind of almost given gave me more of a drive to continue yeah. doing what we're doing because I wanted more moments like that. Yeah. But I'll never forget my daughter because I really thought we were king of the world at that moment. And we pulled up to this one island where a lot of super wealthy show up. And we pull in and Nick and I are wearing, we had no shirts on, bathing suit. Nick jumped off the boat with no shoes. They started yelling at him because he was going into like a store, you know, because uh, we're just used to being at the beach, like yeah. on these different beaches. And I guess this was a little bit of a posh island. I had uh, I had no shirt on. I went in to get my daughter like ice cream. They were yelling at me for, you know, it, we were just kind of a little bit out of place. This was a very posh kind of, kind of a deal. And we stayed there overnight. We rented a hotel. We stayed there overnight on this place. And there was big yachts. And the next morning, walking back to our little boat, which I thought was yeah. like we were the king of the world, <laughs> right? But this was a little boat relative to what else was being parked here. These were monster yachts with like crews on them. And my daughter points at one of the bigger ones and goes, dad, next year, 
we should get that boat. And I remember thinking, wow, there really is levels to life. You know, like a few hours ago, I was thinking, I'm yeah. the king of the world. But it also made me realize that hanging out with the family on, on moments like that is my king of the world moment. Yeah. I don't need the monster yacht. Yeah. Yeah. But having the ability to, to rent a boat, because yeah. you still, you know, you have to earn that. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't come cheap. Yeah. Um, but those moments are so special that it drives you to kind of make more of those special moments with your family. Yeah. So yeah, tasting it is yeah. important. Yeah, definitely. But the $1,500 at Jacob's is pretty impressive. That dude. was, yeah, that was a little bit pricey. But And, and one more thing that's interesting, really interesting uh, um, about your story is that you had that pit of the stomach moment when you got laid off. Yep. And I've met so many people over the years who, in that moment, they talk to us and they're like, I'm at my worst place ever. I feel horrible. I'm worried for my family. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I always say, I'm, I'm like, you know what? You don't know what this is going to bring in your life. You don't know if this is a negative or this might be the best positive in your life ever. You just need some time to pass to be able to reflect on this moment mm -hmm. and then decide if this is a negative or a positive. So don't decide something is a negative in your life in the moment. Take action and work from that place. And then when you reflect back, it might be the best moment of your life. Yeah. And watching you kind of go forward over that moment till today, it seems like that was a wonderful moment. Yeah, it was but a at the time, blessing it in wasn't. Disguise. Yeah, yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. Exactly. And and I've, I found that to be almost 100% universal of, uh, across everyone I've met, that those moments that are once perceived negative or in the time perceived negative are ultimately the best moments of their lives because it set people on a new course. Yeah. So congrats, man, on everything you've done, Tim. It's been incredible. And, and not just everything you've done, the person you are. And you've brought a lot of great investors into Rockstar, some of your good friends, like I'll yeah. mention Fadi again and Matt, who are here. Yeah. Um, so thank you for just representing us the way you've represented us as a group together. Really, really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate being here and uh, wouldn't be anywhere else. Like just knowing you guys, what you guys have taught have changed uh, mindset, changed the way you look at things. Uh, and so... It's been a good ride and it's continuing. Long way to go still, long way to go. If someone wanted to find you, is there uh, one of your real estate websites you can hand out or something if someone wanted to track you down, ask you a question or reach out in any capacity? Probably the easiest, just go to uh, my website. I think it's timhong.ca, I believe Tim it is. Timhong.ca, here, we'll confirm it. We'll confirm it here. It's I love how you don't the, know. You the, don't probably know. the worst website. Uh, there's a bunch but of- But there is a contact. There's a bunch of buttons that opt you in for other stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's yeah. You. so Tim I, I, yeah, yeah i need your name and email before i actually talk to you oh there's no slash thank you there's no slash they can't, no. <laughs> they can't bypass yeah, it yeah you can't bypass this one cool so timhong.ca so, that there's a book there i wrote a book a while back oh my gosh i totally yeah. forgot uh and then i do a couple weekly list uh for kitchener and hamilton area as well Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And I see it. it's all available. Yeah, there. It's all available there. Yeah. The free copy of your book, the yeah. Kitchener and Hamilton signups are there. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Awesome. So that's and probably and some of the, the Forex and crypto yeah. stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. So timhong.ca. Tim, thank you for this, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Tim. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into some real estate specific information to create another stream of income for yourself around income properties, you can find that at rockstarinnercircle.com. We have reports, books, training classes, videos, everything you can think of, everything that we can think to share is there. So if you're looking into real estate as a possible second stream of income, another asset base for yourself, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com for all of that information. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.